Kinging waves, Fox Beard, Locker's action, very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe with that incredibly awesome song. That means it's time for Trek Talking. It's Thursday night. We'll be live with you guys for the next two hours. So give us a call, 646-668-2433. If you're listening to my voice right now, call that number and we'll get you on the air and you can Trek Talk with us. So before we get too far, I'd like to introduce to you guys my Trek experts, and we'll start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right. Enjoying the air conditioning and ready to talk some Trek. And we've got a lot of Trek to talk about, too. And I'd like to swing on over to our dynamic duo in Portland. We'll start off with David the Donut Guy. How you doing, David? Got no donuts. You know, I keep telling you, you're you're done. You're fired. You're out the air. No donuts. You're done. That's it. I got more trouble than this. Your job is to get the donuts. That's all you have to do is get the donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we also have with us, as I said, from Portland, we have our very own Eric. He's in the house. How you doing, Eric? I am doing pretty good. We are enjoying uh, the wettest third month in a row on record here in Portland. So it's still raining cats and dogs here. Uh, Today we did have a little bit of a nice day, but, man, tell you what, I've never seen so much water here. That being said, I'm excited to talk Trek tonight. Well, they're calling for hail here. There's some tornado warnings. I don't know what's going on with Mother Nature. She's uh, dived off the deep end, I think. I don't know. But we have a lot of Trek to talk about, so we'll be preoccupied for the next couple of hours. Like I say, we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. We're going to talk about Strange New Worlds, episode number six. Can you believe there's only four episodes left? Say it isn't no. so. I know. My God. Uh, episode six, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. A very fitting title for this very thought-provoking episode. So uh, we're going to talk also about James T. Kirk and Roger Corby. Will we see them on Strange New Worlds? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. While we're speaking of Strange New Worlds, are we going to see more of the Gorn? Dun-dun-dun. Or perhaps a crossover from another show? Huh. Sounds interesting. 
And we've got some Star Trek IV news as well. And as usual, we have our convention calendar, our Star Trek birthdays, and our fan shout-outs. Once again, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to join in the fun, please give us a call and we'll get you on the air. Um, I just want to mention to you guys that Trek Talking made the 60 best podcast list. Yes, there's a list. There is, and we made it. Uh, the best podcast about Star Trek from thousands of podcasts on the web. Ranked by traffic, social media followers, domain authority, and freshness. And Trek Talking came in at number 22 of 60. I, can you, I still can't believe that. Can you guys believe that? Wow. I can't really believe it. I think it was because I brought the donut. It was the donut. I think it's a combination of our social media followers and our freshness. I mean, we're always talking about the -the up-to-the-minute stuff, and uh, I think people appreciate that. And thank you so much to all of our social media followers who, of course, helped us get on that list for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're we're just some Star Trek fans having fun and trying to give you guys listening a little something different. And hopefully that comes across. So thank you so much for listening and putting us at number 22 of the top 60 best Star Trek podcasts. That's impressive. Um, So you guys, speaking of social media, you can head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. At the top of the page, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper. All you need to do is drop us a little line there. Tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, that means your name has been chosen and you are going to be featured in a future fan shout-out for the whole world to know that you're one of the best Star Trek fans and that you support Trek Talking. So, without any further ado, Eric, why don't you get us started with our fan shout-outs this week? Absolutely, Jim. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Dave Hayden from the Isle of Wight in England, in the UK, just across the pond. Dave, thank you so much for listening to us and for keeping the dream alive over there in our uh, brother-slash-sister country. So thanks so much. We're also saying hello this week to Diana Medved from Croatia. Diana, thank you for listening from Croatia. Tarja Kinanen from Savonlina, Finland. Tarja, thank you so much for listening to us way up in Scandinavia. I can't wait to visit your countries. I've never been there, but I'm coming there someday. We're also saying hello to Maximilian Payne from Slovakia. Thank you, Maximilian, for listening to us and a big kapla to you. And my last fan shout-out goes out to top fan Mildred Kolar from the great city of New Orleans. Thank you, Mildred, for listening to us way down there. Your city's amazing. Been there many times. Uh, have a great day and live long and prosper to you. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Let us start off with Wayne Belcher from right here in Las Vegas. No, I'm not familiar with the person, but maybe he needs to find one of the, one of the ships in the city and start introducing himself. Julie Stevenson from Firestone, Colorado. Joanne Lowry from Arizona. Diane Vernon from Roanoke, Virginia. And Sylvia DeSavio from Rome, Italy. 
I pass it on to Paul, but Paul's missing in action. And so we'll send over to Jim. Yeah. So I want to say thank you to listening to Rochelle Glauser, who's in New York State. Okay. That's a pretty vast area, but uh, thank you for listening. We also want to say thank you to Ruth Gall from Nova Scotia, Canada. And we want to say kapla to Audrey Hyatt in upstate New York. Hmm. Okay. And we want to say kapla to Charmaine Gilgrease from Decanterville, Tennessee in the U.S. of A. And last but not least, we want to say live long and prosper and thank you to Mike Bouchard from Sacramento, California. And those are our fan shout-outs for this week, guys. If you want to be in a future fan shout-out, head over to our page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and uh, just tell us where you're from, and we'll get you on the air. So we're going to move on to our Star Trek birthdays, uh, but first we have to take a very quick break. Hi there, this is Eric from Trek Talking. Do you own a business, produce a product, or are planning an event that would appeal to Star Trek fans? Would you like to harness the power of this podcast to get your message out to the world? We here at Trek Talking are a show made by fans for fans, and we would love to help you share your love of Star Trek on the air, live every Monday and Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Contact us through Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash trektalkingandbeyond or email us using the contact link on our website at podpage.com slash trek-talking. We can't wait to hear from you. Engage. And we're back, and we're going to do our Star Trek birthdays, which means it's time for our Klingon birthday song. And as we do every week, we always start off remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Jim, this week we're going to be remembering seven members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. Uh, The first is Gary Wahlberg, who would have had a birthday this week. Uh, Gary, of course, played Commander Hanson. In TOS's episode, Balance of Terror, one of the best ever. I think uh, nobody would give you any argument about that. Um, Gary Wahlberg wasn't just in Balance of Terror as Commander Hansen. He was also best known probably for playing Speed on the classic television sitcom The Odd Couple uh, from 1970 through 74. And then later he played Lieutenant Frank Monaghan for all seven seasons of Quincy M.E., which my parents watched religiously as a kid. I saw probably all those episodes, so... (laughs) Gary Wahlberg is I a face I was very familiar with. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those shows that just uh, was really good at the time, and, uh, and I remember it. So, Gary yeah. Wahlberg, happy birthday to yeah. you. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Ed Bishop, who played as Madius in TAS's episode Magic of Megas 2. That's right. We're celebrating a birthday from someone from the animated series. Um, Ed Bishop not only played this character, um, he was based out of the UK for most of his career, uh, but he was also known for his starring role 
as Commander Ed Strachan on the British science fiction television series UFO, which I think Paul is familiar with, but I've never seen an episode. Uh, and he also provided the voice of Captain Blue in the series Captain Scarlet and the Mysterions. But where I know his face from is he was also the Ares 1B Moon Shuttle Captain in 2001, A Space Odyssey. So Ed Bishop uh, getting lots of science fiction in during his acting career. Happy birthday, Ed. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Percy Rodriguez, who played Commander Stone in uh, the original series episode Court Martial, another great episode. Uh, He is a Canadian actor of Afro-Portuguese descent, uh, and as such was actually the first black actor to play a flag officer on Star Trek. So happy birthday to Percy Rodriguez. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Cal Boulder, who played the character. Can I? Yeah. Can I jump in with Please. Percy Rodriguez and, and throw in a little a little little tidbit just from from my youth growing up? Of he course. voiced, if you remember, uh, there was an animated um, movie called Heavy Metal, and uh, featured yeah. all kinds of rock and roll songs. And Journey's Open Arms was in that movie, for instance. And uh, Percy Rodriguez voiced the Lochnar, the glowing oh, cool. globe thing that floated around and he was the voice of that green orby thing so i wanted to throw that in there <laughs> he did have a really cool voice so i can totally see that yeah what what a great movie i love that movie too jim <laughs> i i want to see a live yeah. action version of that movie <laughs> yeah you know it's interesting i think that would be really cool i think that uh you know movies like top gun are proving that you can kind of take this retro stuff and update it a little bit and you know it doesn't have to be uh i don't know i kind of like to see some updated songs you know just because it is the 21st century but i tell you what that soundtrack is amazing i i actually found the album the the double album at my local record store i had to pick it up just it's a classic i had to have it All right. Well, uh, carrying on with our Remembrance Birthdays this week, uh, we're also saying happy birthday to actor Cal Boulder, who played the character of Teal in TOS's episode Friday's Child. Cal Boulder was born Earl Craver, and uh, he spent 14 years of uh, his adult life with the Los Angeles Police Department before he left to pursue a career in acting. Uh, and that would lead to about four movies and 20 or so television appearances. So wait it. Follow your dreams, Cal. Uh, happy birthday, and remembrance is going out to you. We're also saying happy birthday this week to actor Richard Durr, who played Commander Barstow in TOS's episode Alternative Factor, and also played Admiral Fitzgerald in TOS's episode Mark of Gideon. Um, he was also on other television series such as Perry Mason, Outer Limits, Uh, Starsky and Hutch, Taxi, Dallas, uh, and he retired in 1983 to become a real estate agent. So Richard Durr, living two dreams at once. Happy birthday to you, sir, uh, and remembrance is going out to you. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Morgan Adair Jones, who played Colonel Jack Nesvig in TOS's episode Assignment First, which we talked about just not too long ago here. Uh, He also appeared in two episodes of The Twilight Zone uh, and had a supporting role in the classic science fiction film, Forbidden Planet. So happy birthday and remembrances going out to Morgan Jones. 
And our final remembrance this week goes out to actor William Newman, who played Kaylin Trose in TNG's episode, The Host, uh, where we first learned about the Trills. Uh, Kaylin, uh, or not the Trills, excuse me, uh, the Polians. Kaylin Trose was a male Polian who resided on the Alpha Moon uh, of Pelarzel. And uh, he's originally from Chicago, Williams from Chicago, and then moved to the Great Northwest. So I sort of feel a, a kinship with him going from Illinois to uh, to Portland. So uh, he just was in a crazy amount of stage and television appearances, way too numerous to name. One of note that I will say is in 2006, he was on one of my favorite television series of the time, which was My Name is Earl. Love that show. <laughs> so William Newman would have had a birthday this week. So uh, guys, that wraps up our remembrances. So Charles, would you like to take us away with uh, those who are still with us this week that have birthdays? I sure would. Let's start off with Alicia Bell, who played Jennifer Sisko in early episode season one of DS9. That's Sisko's connection, so the connection with the prophet is talking through to her and memories of her. Luke Humphrey, who played Balaka. In DS9's Lefe, he was the Vulcan who tried to kill from the group that was opposed to some of Sarek's ideals. Myron E. Willis played Rutikic from Voy's Alliance and Threshold. Clifton Collins Jr. played Dale from Star Trek 2009. Sharon Phil played Ensign Cito Jaxa from TNG's First Duty and later on Lower Decks. Uh-huh. She is the uh, Bajoran. Bajoran, who was part of the Enterprise crew and the Lower Decks crew and eventually end up on that mission that we lost her. And Great episode. I think later on after that got Rolaren as another Bajoran, adding leads to a future character in DS9. Malcolm Medell played Dr. Tolan Soren from Star Trek Generations. If you look him up on IMDb, the guy has well over 300 credits on IMDb. Was in a lot of stuff. Adam Morris played Hernandez in Enterprise. And my last one, the fun one, Fred Katascore, play Lieutenant Shax on LDS. Looked him up in IMDB, and he has, I believe, all 30 credits on the series. Well, wait a minute. There's only two series out there. 
He's already got credits on there for season three. No titles yet, but he actually has credits for all ten episodes. Then you look in IMDb, it's like, okay, Malcolm was pretty prolific. No, Fred Tripleton, he's got over 900 different credits on IMDb. A lot of voice work and a lot of appearances. No wonder they won him for Shaq. He's done just so much. Yeah, he's kind of one of those voices that my kid hears all the time in the shows that she watches. Um, I mean, he's he's on Teen Titans Go. He's on Amphibia. He's on, um, like, way back in the day, he even did, like, Rugrats and stuff. So he's got voice acting credits up the wazoo. Yeah. No wonder they won them for LDS with that. So, Jim, who's on your list? Well, we'd like to start off wishing happy birthday to Christine Healy, who played Svetlana Rakai, DS9's Meridian. And the next one that I'm going to mention wasn't a Star Trek episode, but that's not what I'm going to remember her for, and I don't think you guys will either. Uh, We want to say happy birthday to Adrienne Barbeau. And, yes, she played Senator Kretak in DS9's episode, i got to make this bigger, Intern Arma Edmund's Silent Legus, whatever that is. But that's not what we're going to remember her for tonight. Absolutely not. Growing up as a kid in the 80s, she was pretty much in every movie that shaped every, me growing every up. Every movie. Okay? She was in John Carpenter's The Fog. She was in Swamp Thing. She was in Creep Show. And one of my all-time favorites that, that I had to sneak into the theater to see, Escape from New York. I mean, Adrian Barbeau mm-hmm. was just everywhere in the 80s. So happy birthday to Adrian Barbeau. Uh, the next one, her, her birthday's today, matter of fact. We want to say happy birthday to Robin Curtis, who played Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four. She stepped in and took over for Christy Alley, and Christy Alley bowed out. And we want to say happy birthday to John Chow, who played Mr. Sulu in the Kelvin Universe movies. And that wraps up my Star Trek birthdays, except for my Klingons. You guys listen to the podcast. I always save the Klingons for last, and I've got some pretty good Klingons here. We want to say happy birthday to Jessica Ghana, who played young Bolana Taurus in Void's episode Lineage. Kapla! We want to say happy birthday to Sherman Howard, who played Savar in DS9's Shakar. He played Endar in TNG's Suddenly Human, but I'm putting him in there because he played Tegreth in Voice Prophecy, one of the awesome Klingons in that episode. But wait, there's more. Also, from the same episode from Voice Prophecy, we want to say happy birthday to Ren T. Brown, who played Kolar. He was the captain of the Klingon D7 that was stranded in the Delta Quadrant, waiting for the prophecy, and they thought that it was Bolana Taurus. So we got two birthdays from the same episode, both Klingons. Pretty cool. So that wraps up our birthdays for this week, guys. 
And we have a caller on the line, so let me see if I can get this thing to work. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? Can you hear me? Caller, are you there? Oh, I'm sorry. I had put it on the mute button because we had landed at a playground, and then I forgot to put it on the mute. Oh, no. no. This is Anna. Okay. Yes. How are you oh, doing, Anna? <laughs> good. <laughs> How are all you? Come We're doing really, really good. We're doing really good. good. <laughs> are you enjoying this absolutely perfect weather right this second in Portland? Well, I don't know if we're in Portland exactly, Portland proper, uh-huh. but it's beautiful weather. Excellent. It's beautiful weather, and it, yes, we're just, we're having a lot of fun. We're at a playground, and it's pretty awesome. So we almost had and the Portland trio. We, yeah, we almost had the Portland trio. It's close. <laughs> what is the Portland trio? Well, usually... <laughs> Usually we, having, we have Paul. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. Uh, just having three you, people from Portland on the line at once. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Okay, it, like, yeah. Uh, all of our listeners are all in Portland, it seems like. Well, the ones that call anyways. <laughs> Except Portland for Ray, he's down in Brooklyn. A, a good place. In a lot of ways, Portland has a lot going on. Yeah. Okay, we got you. We Absolutely. All right, guys. So uh, that finishes up our Star Trek birthdays, and uh, we're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, we have our convention calendar. I left my purse. Trek talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, seven thirty to nine thirty. All hailing frequencies are open iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back, guys, and it's time for our convention calendar. And this is the part of the show where we let you guys know where you can go locally uh, to meet up with fellow like-minded fans or just hang out and uh, maybe wave your batlets around, whatever whatever uh, makes you happy. So, Eric, why don't you get us started? Well, before we do that, we got to do this. It's time for convention, 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 convention. Calendar, 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 calendar. calendar. All right, Eric, take it away. All right, guys, we are checking out this week Comic Palooza, July 15th through 17th at the George R. Brown Convention Center in beautiful Houston, Texas. We're also going to be checking out Doki Dokan the same weekend, July 15th through the 17th at the Radisson Plaza Hotel at Kalamazoo Center in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And also Sagik the same weekend, July 15th through the 17th at Hotel Le Matanier in Chicoutimi, Quebec, Canada. And my French is terrible, so I'm sorry for massacring every single one of those names. But please check out the Sagik Convention up there in beautiful Quebec. Jim, what are you checking out this week? 
Well, we want to let you guys know about Shore Leave, July 15th to the 17th at the Delta Hotels in Baltimore, Hunt Valley, Hunt Valley, Maryland. That's where I met Mark B. Lee, oh, about 30 years ago. Uh, but Shore Leave is a great convention, and I recommend you check it out. We also want to tell you guys about Taz Pop South, same weekend, July 15th to the 17th at Prince's Wharf Number 1 in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia. I bet you that that guy is probably going to be there, more than likely. You can go there and meet the guy. Uh, I also want to let you guys know about TrotCon, September 15th through the 17th at the Crown Plaza, Columbus North in Columbus, Ohio. And Charles, why don't you wrap us up with our convention calendar? Well, okay, Jim. I think we're keeping up with the same weekend. I see a theme here. Utopia, also July 15th through 17th. And why Boston Lake Resort, why Boston, UK. But if you don't have the full weekend, you can go over to Hershey Comic Con, July 16th at the Holiday Inn in Harrisburg, Hershey area I-81 in Grantsville, Pennsylvania. Or you can go to Super World Comic Expo, also July 16th, the Holiday Inn and Suites, Overland Park West, and over, over, Overland Park, Kansas. If I can get it spit out. And I, I bet Jim would love to do some news. Yes, it's time for Star Trek News. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. All right, Eric, you've got our first news story. And before we start the news story, I just want to let you guys know that all the stories that we're going to talk about tonight are just kind of um, quickly uh, briefed by myself. But you can read the entire articles on our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, versus the little summary that you're going to hear now. Eric, take it away. Uh, Jim, I'm pretty excited. We've got not only some characters we've uh, become very familiar with, but potentially some that are a little bit more niche coming back here. Star Trek Strange New Worlds clues emerge about both our beloved James T. Kirk, but also Roger Corby. You might say, who is Roger Corby? I don't remember him. Well, that's okay. We at Trek Talking here have you covered. We're going to clue you in. Shortly after production on the second season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Starring, uh, started Paramount Plus surprised fans by announcing the Vampire Diaries star, Paul Wesley, would appear as James T. Kirk. Christina Chong, who of course plays La'an Noonien Singh, didn't offer any story details, but she did talk about working with Paul Wesley on season two. She says, I can say that Paul Wesley is very funny and I love working with him. We just have this thing where I don't know what it is, Almost every interaction we've ever worked on has ended up in fits of giggles. That means we're holding up the entire crew and the entire day's work for much longer than we should be. (laughs) That's all I can say about that. I really enjoy working with him, and it's great to have him on board for season two. That sounds like a pretty positive working experience. 
Now, in the first season of Star Trek, the original series, it was revealed that Nurse Christina Chapel once engaged, was once engaged with a scientist named Dr. Roger Corby, who goes missing in the year 2261. When Trek Geeks podcaster Bill McCabe made a joke about Corby on Twitter following Spuck Amok, Strange New Worlds co-showrunner and co-creator Akiva Goldsman replied simply with a standby, hinting that they do have a plan for Corby. So that is pretty exciting. If you, if you really don't remember who he is, that's okay, because we actually never met the real Doctor. Uh, we only met the Android version of him. Uh, in the original uh, series episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Um, and there was this whole thing about, Christina says something about, uh, you know, he's going to find a way to live on. So, uh, so we met the android because of the timing of when Strange New Worlds takes place. Uh, you know, starting in 2258, Corby disappears in 2261 and becomes an android. So sometime in the next year or two, we're probably, uh, well, definitely, according to this article, going to see some actual Roger Corby. We're going to see a, an engagement, and we are going to see likely a heartbroken Christine Chapel. So there you go, folks. You heard it here first. But she's got Spock to lean on, though, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, she's got, she's got her uber crush on him, which I think carries her through a lot of the original series and obviously is going to start to carry her through this series after, after – uh, after the Corby crash, the imminent Corby crash. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, speaking of Strange New Worlds, Alice Kurtzman talks more Gorn on Strange New Worlds and Star Trek Universe crossovers. Dun, 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 dun. The Gorn have gotten a lot of attention on this season of Strange New Worlds, factoring into the tragic backstory of Leon Noonien Singh. Um, in episode four, when asked by Will Wheaton if he will get more Gorn in the first season, Kurtzman's answer was a simple yes. So that's pretty cut and dry. Yes. There you have it. Yeah. Wheaton noted, <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there you have it. Yeah. Wheaton noted that we actually haven't seen a Gorn on the show just yet. Their ship showed up in Memento Mori, and there's a hint of a shadow of a Gorn in Leon's memory. But in the way Kurtzman talked about how the Gorn were developed for the show, he indicated we are going to get a better look at the Gorn. The show is going to use a combination of CGI effects and practical puppetry effects. Kurtzman later teased something for season two of Strange New Worlds, saying, quote, I guess the best tease that I could give you is that there are obviously characters who exist on TOS who are not yet on the show. So given that there's a kind of five-year window before Kirk would have taken over the Enterprise, or seven, I have lost track, others may show up. That's an interesting bomb to drop right there, uh, because Mm -hmm. we know there's no Scotty yet. There's no Bones yet. We don't have Sulu yet. So uh, we've got some characters to show Chekhov doesn't show up till season two of TOS, so Chekhov isn't one of them. But, um, yeah, so that's interesting. I wonder if anyone from the movies might show up. I don't know. We can also ask Kurtzman if we can look forward to any crossovers. (laughs) Kurtzman agree, again, simply replied with yes. Well, he likes to say that a lot, doesn't he? 
without elaborating, yeah. last year Kurtzman had has yes. <laughs> said doing a crossover between some of the various Trek universe series was inevitable. So apparently it is happening. So I guess the answer Ooh. is yes. <laughs> yes. And before we move on to the next story, I just want to say, if you guys don't watch after Trek, I'm sorry. After Trek, I got after Trek on my brain because we just yeah, talked to Lori Ulster. <laughs> On Monday about After Trek, and I loved After Trek. I thought it was great. But if you don't watch The Ready Room with Will Wheaton, and if you happen to be one of those people that blames Alex Kurtzman for killing Star Trek, and he's the anti-Roddenberry and all this other hate mail and stuff, I highly recommend you watch The Ready Room because he gets it. He truly gets it. When he's talking with Will Wheaton, you can tell that he knows what's going on. And he gets what Star Trek means and what it's all about and what it means to all of us. So I, I recommend that you tune into the Ready Room and watch Alex Kurtzman talking with Will Wheaton about the future of Star Trek. So please check that out. And Charles, you have our final story. Okay. Paramount Studio Chief, Star Trek Four, close to starting line. Says audience wants more Kelvin crew. The planned Star Trek film will again be produced by J.J. Abrams, who was brought into Paramount's Investors Day in February to make the big announcement along with studio chief Brian Robbins. The studio is now riding high on performance of Top Gun Maverick, and Robbins talked to Variety about what's next for Paramount, including a status update on Trek Project. Paramount has a set date of December 22nd, 2023 for the Star Trek film. And in February, Abrams announced the goal of starting the film by the end of this year in order to make out that date. Paramount did market a research to gauge interest before deciding how to move forward, which includes asking if they should bring back the Kelvin crew. Eventually, executive term determined that there was still lasting audience enthusiasm for Pine, um, Quinto, and the rest of the cast in their established roles, which allows the studio to feel comfortable with moving forward with bringing them back. And I, for one, for a lot of sci-fi, I like a Christmas release. I like the idea of coming in around Christmas like Star Wars did. I like getting around the Christmas break and it's like, oh, Christmas break here. Oh, is there going to be a Star Wars movie this year? I like getting those kind of breaks of getting the push there instead of the rush for Christmas. And then there's a little better chance of success for a movie in, in December at uh, Christmas time than having to deal with all the summer push of the blockbusters that are all fighting to see who's the best. So let's hope we and, get that or have Star Trek Four. And I, I was just reading an article, and, and um, as you guys know, Thor Love and Thunder comes out on Friday. 
And so I was reading an interview with Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, but his very first role of his career was who, Eric? Well, he played good old Chris Pine's dad. Uh, so, yeah, another Kirk. Yeah, he played George Kirk, and he said in the interview that he would love to come back to Star Trek and and do George Kirk. He says, all J.J. Abrams has to do is ask him, and he'll do it. But as of now, he hasn't gotten any any invite to do it. So I, I don't know what that means, but he said he would do it. So we'll see. Maybe that story will happen. Maybe they dropped that story and they moved on to something else. I, I don't know. But he's willing to do it if they want to have him. So that's that's good news. But I do think that the Kelvin – I do. me personally, one of the things I liked about the start of the, the 80s and 90s Star Trek is that you had the movie crew and you had the TV crew and they were completely different and independent of each other. And I like it that way. I, I, I like the Kelvin people are in the movies and we're watching what on TV and they're both completely different from each other. I like it that way where you have the movie crew and you have the TV crew and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> but I, I like, I like it when it's two different star Treks instead of the same thing. So I'm glad that they're going to move forward with the Kelvin universe stuff. So, yeah, I guess it remains to be seen whether or not they kind of bring it back around, right, Jim? That's something that we've been talking about for years as to whether or not the Kelvin timeline will ever become a closed loop or not. Yeah, well, that's why I mentioned Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he said they haven't asked him yet, but he would do it if they did. So, yeah. and again, that that story was what seven, eight years ago. That that's been a that's been kicking around for a long time, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's been. Did a, they ever yeah. mention they were going to be doing a Kelvin Universe uh, TV show or just a movie? Just a movie. Only movies so far. Yeah. Only movies. Okay. Um, but you know we'll have to wait and see. We'll definitely have to wait and see. So uh, yeah. So guess what, guys? We have to take a quick break here. We have to hear from Eric, and then when we come back. We're going to do our Star Trek scores for last week's episode. Hi there, this is Eric from Trek Talking. Do you own a business, produce a product, or are planning an event that would appeal to Star Trek fans? Would you like to harness the power of this podcast to get your message out to the world? We here at Trek Talking are a show made by fans for fans, and we would love to help you share your love of Star Trek on the air, live every Monday and Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Contact us through Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash trektalkingandbeyond or email us using the contact link on our website at podpage.com slash trek-talking. We can't wait to hear from you. Engage. All right, guys, and we're back. And every week on our Facebook page, on Friday, I'll put up a post, which will be tomorrow, and ask you guys to score this week's episode of Star Trek. And we collect those scores, and then we give them to you guys on this podcast so that we can gauge, you know, how how you guys feel about it versus how we feel about it, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, so we always turn to Eric, and Eric starts us off with that. But first, got to set the mood for you guys. 
So uh, here's the captain's log from Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Episode 6, Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Captain's log, Stardate 1943.7. We have arrived at the Magellan system, a minor star cluster at the edge of Federation space. I was last here 10 years ago on a rescue mission. When a pulsar nearly kills you, you tend not to forget. Our mission today is a routine cartographic survey. I expect it will be a lot quieter. All right, so there's the captain's log. And every week, we ask you guys, the fans, to score the episode on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best. Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about this episode? Matthew Whiteman uh, gave it an 8. He said, it reminded me very much of a story I read in my intro to philosophy class in college, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas by Ursula K. Le Guin. Great thought-provoking episode. And uh, Matthew, I know exactly that, uh, that short story. It once again uh, is about a utopian city that you know, rests on the perpetual misery of a single child. So uh, very familiar to me. So Matthew, thanks for your comment there. Warren Hayes gave it a 9.5. The fact Pike's suspicions weren't raised earlier on uh, kind of seemed out of character for him. It just goes to show a pretty face can make a man stupid, I guess. LOL. <laughs> Overall, this was really powerful. I like the line comparing child poverty all over a planet to just having one child suffer for the benefit of all. Michael Halliday said, very powerful episode. The heroes can't save the day every episode. Definitely 10 out of 10. Top fan Kevin Chandler gave it a solid 8. Kevin Joseph said, it was a 7 for me. It had its compelling moments, though. Iman Gamble gave it an 8, only because there are other episodes I'd give a 10 to. Gordon Walker said, I give it a 9. Top fan Keith Gaida gave it a 10. Andrew Pond gave it an 8. And Joel Ranger said, easily a 10. And, uh, guys, that leaves us with a fan score this week uh, for this episode of 8.8, which is, technically speaking, uh, also at the bottom of our list. It actually ties with episode two, Children of the Comet, which is also an 8.8. And uh, our fans have rated every single other episode of Strange New Worlds over, uh, well, at least a nine or better. So interesting to me uh, that we got an 8.8 this week. Yes, very interesting, actually. And we have a brand new segment for you guys. If you listen to our podcast on Monday uh, with Lori Ulster, who was a supervising producer on After Treks, you would have heard that we used to do cadet trainings on this podcast every week because we ran out of Star Trek to talk to new Star Trek. So we had to go back and review um, old episodes. So we did the cadet training which Lori and her team brought up on After Trek. So we thought it's time to bring cadet training back again. So this will be a brand new segment that we'll have every week. And uh, basically, um, yeah, well, you know what? I, I, this is, we're gonna, I'm going to turn things over to Charles, and uh, Charles can tell you a little bit about it. But before we do that, I have to play our cadet training music. This is the actual music that was used on After Trek, Lori was kind enough to send it over to me. So if you remember After Trek, this was the actual cadet training 
music that they played. And I got to find it. There it is. Okay. And uh, Charles, why don't you tell us a little bit about cadet training? I certainly will. For those that don't remember formerly what cadet training was and haven't caught our references on the show, in the original series of Discovery, After Trek would, at the end of the show, give you some episodes to go look at time for that episode of that week. So I, we, we got together and kind of talked a little bit, and we ended up taking four episodes from previous series that we thought would be great ones to look at when looking at this, this show we're going to be discussing. We're going to start off with TNG. I didn't get the episode in the, the number in here, but this was an early episode called Haven. And this is a one, this is an episode where Wesley gets involved and we can interesting dispute with the prime directive. Jumping all the way to boy. We have an episode called child play. And this is where we find the family of Ichabod. We find out who his family is. Why he ended up with the board. And that his family attempted to try trading him off again to the board, trying to save the planet. Risking a child's life, trying to save the coming enemy. Yeah, Charles, this one was a really good one. I thought you picked out for this because there's a direct correlation. I think if you if you don't remember details about that, remember uh, listeners that uh, Icheb was actually bred basically to kill the Borg um, and to keep them away. And so that you know the fate of an entire society resting on the on the shoulders of one child um, resonates pretty well with this week. And Jim Jim had a couple of them he kind of liked. One was back in the original series, the Cloud Minders, and having to do with the issue of the miners that were mining that planet and having uh, having a chemical that was making them slave, and Enterprises trying to help them out in that issue. And the fourth one kind of fits in here, so we may not definitely consider the best of Star Trek, is TOS's Spock's brain. And the one connection with this one is the fact that you do have a central computer that tried to take Spock's brain to help control the planet. But we thought these were some good episodes to look at as you're looking at this week's episode, this last week's episode, and get yourself a little more familiar, familiar with all the different Star Trek series. 
So since we've kind of discussed other episodes, Jim, why don't we get in discussing the actual episode? Well, we actually have some callers on the line that I want to get to. So uh, let's start off with this one. Um, if my thing, why doesn't this ant? There we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Truck Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Yeah, I'm Joe from Montana. Hi, and Joe. We've heard from you like before. Yeah, yeah. I had, um, I saw the show on tonight and it spurred a, um, a thought inside me. And I thought I'd like to ask you guys a question. Because um, outside of the ability for the Star Trek fleet to use the technology to navigate through the stars and to discover enemies on their radar, or whatever they might want to call it in the uh, 25th century, have you noticed that I'm sure you guys are familiar with AI, have you noticed, at least to me, that Roddenberry did not make the series dependent upon technology? Because if he did, then it would be the Starfleet would be more or less having the kind of technology that the Borg uses, which is AI, artificial intelligence. So I just thought of that when I saw your show right now. Has that thought ever occurred to either of you? Well, well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was going to say that, that, you know, Mike – I guess my thought on it is that the, uh, you know, the Federation is actually, if you kind of get right down to it, a little bit based on technology. Remember that in the original series, they kind of describe it as a utopian society where, uh, you know, there's no more hunger and there's no more this and that. And I think that they're starting to retcon that just a little bit with uh, the newer shows like Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. but. In order for all of that sort of stuff to have happened back in the original series, I do think that that was technology-based, and it was probably based on stuff we got from the Vulcans or, you know, um, the fact that after the Vulcans came, we got our act together and we actually started pouring our resources into science instead of, um, you know, killing each other. (laughs) So uh, I I agree in some uh respects that, that Roddenberry never addressed this idea of AI because he was a secular humanist and he believed in the ability of the human mind and the human spirit and the human whatever gumption to get things done. And I don't think that he was really thinking about AI back then. We, of course, we got a little taste of it in TNG and it, of course he was, you know, uh, involved in early TNG with, with data and that sort of thing. But it's an interesting question as to whether the Federation, you know, whether Roddenberry's ideals are based on technology or not, I don't know. I guess I'd argue that maybe they are a little bit. Actually, let me bring up an episode, and I can't think of the title of it. Daystrom and his, and his AI the M5. computer. Yeah, the M5 computer. Yeah, the, Mark Fox, the ultimate Mark computer. There, there, was, there was a tie-in for technology right there. There was AI there. And show the fact that they didn't believe AI was strong enough to deal with the issues yet. Well, uh-huh. and that one. Okay, well, that goes back to remember... what. Um, oh, go ahead. To what the, the first person was, th- was saying. I think his name was Jim. He was saying that perhaps Rodney, um, uh, Rodney Murray, 
being a, a secularist. I was relying on human beings to, I guess, formulate their own thoughts and um, be the captains of their own fate independently of technology. There's no doubt, of course, that technology in the 25th century did enhance the living standards of everybody on the planet. Um, but what I was trying to emphasize was the fact that um, at that particular time, 25th century, AI would have been developed to an, a huge extent, but it wasn't shown in the episodes, and I think perhaps either because Roddenberry didn't, wasn't aware of it, didn't like it, or wanted to show the dramatic interaction between human beings more. And, of course, the Borg was more or less humanoids, the hive reacting to machines, the computer directing information to them, telling them what to do, and evaluating situations and coming up with its own analysis. So that was the other uh, point I was trying to make. Now, of course, the episode that you're talking about, I haven't seen it, but it's, I can imagine what it's, what it's like. Um, but I wanted to find out if you guys, had, if it ever occurred to you, the, the absence of AI with the Federation um, as a result of uh, Roddenberry's philosophy of perhaps relying more on human interaction and human drama to show the public. Well, uh, the Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which takes place uh, before TOS and the timeline, um, there was a, a AI called Control that was trying to kill all sentient life and take over everything. And so AI was more uh, frowned on as being evil and bad and something that we don't want um, in season two of Discovery. But you're right, though. There, there, there isn't a lot on AI um, on in Star Trek because I, I don't think I don't think it existed when Gene Roddenberry thought of Star Trek back in the '60s. They barely had computers. Well, well, no, but they thought they they had concept of like thinking machines and stuff. I mean, you look at all the the Dune series, which was back from the '60s, and you know people were absolutely talking about uh, robots that had their own intelligence. You know, they may not have called it artificial intelligence. But it's interesting, this idea of the M5 computer, like Charles was just bringing up, you know, that one was, I'll say, AI adjacent because they, um, it was actually Daystrom's brain mapped on a machine, if I remember right, and that's kind of what caused it to go just a little bit crazy. Uh, but then you had other things like Nomad uh, or, you know, V'ger or those types of things, too, that that kind of have that, that AI thing. Very, very interesting. Yeah. And it is. It's cool to think about like what Discovery Season Two did, you know, talking about AI and kind of bringing it to the forefront, and then defeating it and smushing it. You know, <laughs> it's that it's that you know Roddenberry ideal, I think, of of uh, you know, ain't no computer gonna do what a human can't do. Wasn't well, data here's, also here's, AI? Here's what I got from here's what I got from what you guys have just finished saying about. Um, the way that Roddenberry handled AI in, I mean, Discovery. I think he handled it the right way because if AI becomes a sentient being, it will try to, dis- to, do, to destroy all that's around it because it will consider human beings as being cockroaches and its major um, compulsion will be to survive and it'll know that there will be forces by humans who will, number one, worship it and the other second types of forces will be to destroy it. 
So for destroying AI, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming in the way that you guys were talking about, what has to be the only way to realistically uh, take care of it and the kind of technology that they're using thereafter would be autonomous but not AI because AI would think for itself, program for itself, reprogram for itself, and not take any orders from any other, any, any other programmers or developers. So when you guys just talked about it just now, you answered my question. He probably, or somebody else, probably thought of AI, recognized that AI could be the most dangerous entity that America could face and destroyed it, or tried to anyway. That's what we did on Discovery. <laughs> yeah, and here we are approaching, I think, I love this, this is a very timely topic with, of course, the gentleman who recently left Google uh, because he apparently, you know, revealed information, but nobody really knows how much that to trust. So great topic, great thing to bring up in the context oh, of I trust uh, Star Trek in general. Yeah. I trust it because he was talking about chatbots. And once I heard about chatbots and um, it's talking back to the developer without being programmed to talk back in the way that it did, I said game over. Because a chatbot yeah. is automatically hooked up to the Internet and uh, I don't know if you guys investigated AI, but I, I, I like the subject, and it's a fascinating topic. But I'm glad you guys addressed it and told me about it the way that you did. Um, I'm glad Roddenberry approached it the way that he did. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, Star Trek Picard Season 1 dealt with that a little bit, too, um, because there was a... Um, artificial life that was going to come through this wormhole again and wipe everything out and they had to stop it. Uh. The Romulans had this, <laughs> the, the Romulans had this, what was it, Eric, a vision? It was a circle of vision or something of the future. The, yeah. The, the Jot, the Jot Vosh, the, yeah, the big circle thing. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because they play, not to belabor this topic too much, but it's a super interesting topic. They sort of play that off of the whole concept of, okay, if you don't have AI and all you've got is dumb robots, um, Picard Season 1 deals with the idea that an army of dumb robots can be just as dangerous as AI, uh, depending on what they're, what they're told to do. And what do human beings as a society, like how does our way of thinking about other entities change when we have an army of slave laborers? Um, that's just kind of another side topic to the AI topic that maybe we should do a whole show on one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you do a show, I'd like to step in for about 15 minutes because that's all it would take for me to explain AI. <laughs> but um, it would be an that interesting topic. That sounds fascinating. We should set it up. Yeah, that sounds that sounds good, Joe. Well, okay, well the next time to... you guys have a show, I'll look I'll look for it. When do you have it on Thursdays only? I would do Thursdays and Mondays. Thursdays and Mondays. All right, I'll yep, look for time, it on Monday and Thursday. Okay, see if you guys have it. And like I said, it only takes fifteen minutes for me to actually explain the dangers of AI. It's um, quite a phenomenon. All right. That sounds excellent, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Take care. And uh, we've got another caller on the line here, guys. Um, this number looks familiar to me, though. 
Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Truck Talk. And what's your name and where you're calling us from tonight? No, it's my turn. It's Nate from Vegas. I Woo, I knew Nate. that number looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Nate? Long time no here, brother. Uh, what's happening? I'm nothing much. Uh, I figured uh, I had the... I had some time, so uh, I uh, put on the blog talk, and uh, it finally got to the uh, the time where I usually call in after you guys get through all the all the extra stuff in the beginning. And Did, here uh, we are. Charles tell you how how hot it is over here. He mentioned that he's enjoying uh, the air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying the air conditioning because it's 106 here in North Vegas. I don't know what it is over uh. in his part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 106 here too. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we're, and we're, it's 5:30 at night. Ugh. And we're gonna have hail and tornadoes, and it's gonna dip down into the 50s. Wow. wow. Seems like we're having another winter. It seems like mm-hmm. that. All right, guys. Well, we heard from Joe in Montana talking about AI, and we heard what our fan scores were for uh, this episode. Uh, lift us up where suffering cannot reach and uh, now it's time we we heard from charles he gave you a couple of cadet review episodes that will help you with this episode if you want to go back and watch them some of the topics are very similar to what we're going to talk about tonight and now it's time to dive right in and uh, talk about the episode so um as usual i have i've pulled some sound bites from the episode and that we're going to talk about. So I just got to find it on my list here. My list just seems to get bigger every week. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, I delete stuff and it's, there we go. So um, the first clip I want to play for you guys um, is this one. First servant is a very special child, a holy figure, chosen at birth by lottery to embody our maxim, science, service sacrifice. He has forsworn his own family because everyone on Majalis is his family. So, Eric, um, the first time when I watched this, um, I didn't didn't quite catch that. Um, But the second time I watched it, I had to pull that clip because it pretty, there, there you have it. It's laid out for you right there in black and white. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they tell pretty much the whole story in that scene. <laughs> it, it's right there. I mean, every whenever you hear something chosen by lottery, it's never a good thing. Um, it's just it's bad, <laughs> you know. Well, um, it's true. It, it's never a good thing when they pick someone from lottery. Um, it's never good. It's always for a bad reason. Um, so that pretty much yeah, telegraphed that- it. Science through suffering. What more do you need? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and that idea of the maxim that was science, service, sacrifice. So, you know, that sacrifice part of that is not something that's necessarily in your typical um, ideological tenets, uh, unless you're talking about um, martyrdom and in particular, I don't know, religions or other stories or that type of thing. So, Sacrifice was absolutely the word that telegraphed uh, a bunch for me. And then, uh, and then later on, you know, I don't think you're actually going to play this, this one, but where they actually say the whole quote, um, 
Let the tree that grows from the roots of sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach. That was like, okay. <laughs> this ain't going to be good for Junior. No, this is not going to turn out good at all. Not at all. And, um, well, I don't, we'll, we'll talk about more when we get to it um, as we move along. So, uh, Charles, did you, or, or David, or Nate, did you want to mention anything about that clip before I play the next one? Please feel free to if you if you want to. All right. Uh, and you didn't bring the donuts either, David, so you need to go stand in the corner because you're being punished. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I'm going to need a little top hat, a little pointy hat. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Dunsell. <laughs> All right. So uh, the next clip that I uh, – and, you know, it's so tough for me to, to – uh, when I watch these to kind of pull out stuff that, 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 that I think is important because there's so much good stuff, but it, uh, I do needle it down. So this next one, I just called the future. But it's rare to know what's in your future. Yeah, it is rare. Some of us get a glimpse though. What do you mean? In some years, there's going to be an accident. It doesn't end well for me. Even the best of Federation medicine won't be able to help me. How can you know this? I know. Our doctors are capable of things that you can't imagine. Only... Only... Only you have to be one of us to live here, far away. Science, service, sacrifice. The future is still very far away. Sorry, I've overstepped. Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. Thank you for telling me. You'd be welcome here. It's just. So there it is again, that same, same quote, and it's laid out for you again. You have to be one of us. You have to come and live here and accept our, our motto, science and sacrifice. Interesting. Yeah, I still didn't you, put it all together is, at this point. <laughs> I still didn't get it. Well, this, well but uh, for me, this was the scene that had me asking myself, holy smokes, are they going to change Pike Cannon? You know, I mean, here we have this civilization that has all this amazing medical power. And are we going to are we going to see a change? I don't think that we are. But I think the introduction of that sort of hope in this scene is kind of interesting. And and when you get to the end of the show, to me, this scene is like it's it's one of the most joyful because here Pike is like rediscovering somebody that he really likes. And it is also absolutely the most melancholy scene (laughs) in the whole show because he just is revealing that his, you know, he knows where he's headed. um, And he's just trying to kind of do his best on the way there. I I would um, like to add um, real quick uh, piggyback on that. As I was uh, uh, remembering that scene uh, as you were playing the clip, and Eric was talking, uh, 
I started thinking back to Menagerie and thinking, well, was there, did he, did he go somewhere? I thought he went to Talos um, at the, yeah. uh, at the end of Menagerie. So I was, I was trying to think, well, did he go there or did he go to this planet? So, um, so yeah, so uh, I did remember right then at the end of Menagerie, he did go someplace uh, and they made him young again, if I remember correctly, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. He goes back to Talos for, and he lives with Vina. That's right. Yep. He does. So, and I don't think they're going to change that. I, I, I don't. I don't think. think so either. But I'm wondering, yeah. uh, do you think that they'll actually show that again? Like, do you think we'll have a new? I mean, we've already had a Vina, right? We've had a, a, a Vina who was in Discovery, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, she was so, in season two. Yeah, so it'd be cool. I don't know. I like that whole this idea that he he knows one part of his history. He doesn't know it's all going to end up being okay, uh, but it looks really bad right now, and he's still got to push through and get there. Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to go to back to that planet from what he's witnessed at the very end. There. I think he cut it off. Yeah, he, <laughs> well, yeah, he won't go back to Magellus. Absolutely not. Well, and I think we get bits and pieces of the other colony. And I think you start to realize why the other colony exists. Because those are people from the planet who have chosen the fact that they don't agree with what they're doing with the planet and that they want to deal maybe with science, but they don't want to deal with ice. Yeah, and these people are willing to live on an L-class planet. But they don't want to admit the fact that it's actually their own people who just don't, cannot, cannot follow the philosophy. Yeah. Is it me, or is it? Did anyone else get like a Landru vibe coming through there? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's absolutely one of the the things that you see here is kind of that like coalescence on that that figure, like Landru. Or we're witnessing the birth of Landru or something. <laughs> yeah, and the whole time yeah. they thought they were saving the the child and in actuality they were dooming the child to eternal suffering they did they weren't well, aware the of best what thing about it is that you know, yeah i mean uh what's her name uh alora is like she's the she's the absolute kind of uh villain of this story right because she knows what's happening all along i don't know if she understands pike's cultural reference for this, but this is clearly one of those great stories where we see two different cultures who interpret things two totally different ways. One, like from our, from the Federation standpoint, this is an absolutely appalling practice. Um, so do we have a responsibility to do anything about it or is it prime directive territory and you just got to let it go? Well, well I mean, I, specific... I, I'm going to throw in that I, I was listening to Pike, and like my opinion was, he says I'm going to star uh, to Starfleet about this, and she's like, well, we're not members of Starfleet, doesn't matter. So what? Yeah. But if their planet ever needs help, especially if they lose one of their chosen, they might go looking for help 
and Starfleet may turn around and say, we can't help you. We tried to do, you dealt with this issue. You you refused to, you only acknowledge this is the way, and we're not going to support you for it. I don't think she looks the future that that could be a problem for them saying, I don't want a Starfleet around us. And burning yeah. another bridge they could use. Didn't Pike exactly. at the beginning of the episode didn't he say that he met her ten years ago on a rescue mission? Isn't yeah. that yeah. where he yeah. met her? Yeah, I mean this Yeah, this episode so, is set in twenty two fifty nine and she was rescued in twenty two forty nine then. So if if they're enemies I don't want to use the word enemies. If they're, they're not, not affiliated enemies, they're not members. Right. And 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 they're going against what the Federation stands for, then is the Federation obligated to lend them aid if they ask for it, I guess? Well, the thing is, is the ideals of the Federation would push them in the direction of helping them anyway, even if they – it's like Mbenga says in this episode, you know, when he's talking to the, uh, to the, to the dad, he's like, you know – we, the dad's like, we don't share technology. And he's like, yeah, but uh, when it comes to the health of others, when it comes to uh, human suffering, uh, we do share technology. And I think the Federation would probably take the same tack on that. So I think they'd help them out. It's not like the Federation would be like, no, nah, we don't like you guys' society, so we're not going to help you out. Federation wouldn't do that. Only the Federation and Picard uh, would, uh, would turn their backs. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. No, that's so true, which is a human thing. So, I mean, that's why I like that they explored that Picard, but, like, the Federation that we all know and love wouldn't do that, except for no. the Admirals. Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> Plenty of universe. <laughs> they got little goatees. All right, so the next, <laughs> the next clip uh, that I want to play for you guys is called uh, Stone Knives. Uh, stones, uh, uh, bare skins and stone knives. Showing a slight reduction in cerebral blood flow. Consistent with head trauma. Next time the hull falls on you, try not to block it with your head. Theo, <laughs> do you have anything to eat? Does this look like a mess hall? Yeah, please keep that butcher's knife away from the first servant. It's a subdermal scalpel. I know what it is. All I needed was for you to scan him. That's all. May I? Okay, now. How about it? There. Just wanted to check that his quantum bio implants are functioning. Thank you. He has quantum bio implants? didn't show up on my scan. That's not surprising, considering the state of this abattoir. This is a state-of-the-art medical facility. Maybe to you. In my clinic, healing begins at a subatomic level. So I, I picked that one I, because, I'm again, I didn't catch it when I watched it the first time. But these people are so far advanced over the technology that the Federation has. And it never dawned on me that they're they're getting these advancements on torturing a child. It didn't. It, I, it never clicked on me when I was watching it. And uh, 
you know, the question comes, does the ends justify the means is the question. Well, and there's, and there's deep, deep mysteries in this episode, right, Jim, because we still don't know who actually built these machines that keep all of these floating islands up in the clouds um, for this planet. Um, they talk, I think they call them, do they call them their founders? I think they call them their founders. Um, uh, and they say, we, they say, you know, we don't know when they built it or, or why they built it. Uh, but we know that the surface of the planet is all acid and lava and all this kind of nasty stuff. And so the question, the second question to me that comes out here, which is something the Star Trek has done uh, many, many times, and I think is still an interesting question, do the needs of the many always outweigh the needs of the few or the one in this case? Um, and that is a super-duper fundamental thing that this episode is exactly talking about. Yeah, it, it in a big, big way. When, when uh, I, I was watching it, that popped into my head was the Nazis in Nazi Germany and, and all the, the horrific experiments that they were doing and the benefits that were reaped from those experiments. Does that make the experiments and the suffering of those people any any less better because of the benefits that came from it? Yeah, I mean, and that's, and, that's and what I this, was thinking about with this episode. It's like all this vast technology, you know, they can they you know, they can cure Captain Pike, they can cure Mbenga's uh, daughter who's in the transporter, they can do all these wonderful, magnificent, marvelous things. But what's the cost? Right? Are you willing to pay right, that okay. price? Yeah, let me throw a question out. After hearing that clip for the third time. Now you're making me think, is the child an augment? Is he enhanced? Well, he is. He's got the, he's got the bio whatever implants so that he can heal really quickly and do that kind of stuff. But the thing that really gets me is like, okay, so you can, you can doom this child to whatever, but Pike asks the one question that I don't think we've got a clip for here, but the most powerful question in this entire episode to me is when he's talking to Alora and he says, will he suffer? And she says, yes. And so this society knows that they are torturing this little kid. And that, that is what their society is built on. Now, the question is, once again, you know, so what? Like, do we care? Do we apply our own values to what's going on on this planet? I think that's kind of the question that's meant to be asked by this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we have well, another caller on the line here, guys. Oh, let's get the caller Woo-hoo. first. Yep, we've got another caller here. Let me see here. If I can, there we go. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello, caller. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, thank you for calling Truck Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Uh, my name's Charles, and I'm calling you from Tennessee. Hi, Charles in Tennessee. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I hope you guys are doing well. Well, we're not doing too bad. It's Thursday night. We're Truck Talking, so we're in a good place. So what's on your mind tonight? Well, I just wanted to call me 
um, you guys are great having a great discussion. But one of the things that I liked about this episode so much is when not only do they combine, you know, the utopia or the the science fiction and and all of the advances of Star Trek, but they also really bring out a ethical or even a moral situation like this episode did. And it makes you really think about how things are going to develop in the future. And as you know, well, and this is something I might want you to call in on is they are, I believe if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken on this particular series, they are still in in process of developing the prime directive to the point that correct is, you know that it is in the next generation series. So as far as how much involvement can they actually do on a situation like this, how far can they step in and interfere? And it really makes mm-hmm. you think about how the prime directive got developed. It reminds me of an episode on Voyager, which I don't know if y'all want to mention it, but where uh, the two characters, Neelix and Tuvok, were Uh in a transporter accident, and they got merged together. And the only way that they could get... Yep. Pardon? Tuvex was the name of that episode. Okay, yeah. They got merged together... And the only way to save them was to destroy or kill, basically, the person that was created during the merging. And it really hit me hard thinking about what the captain uh-huh. had to do in that situation. Uh-huh. And so I just wanted to comment that this is one of my favorite episodes because not only is it Star Trek, but it really makes you think about the moral and ethical way that they're dealing with the prime directives. Anyway, I know I've said a lot, and I'll start, I'll stop. I'll let you get back to it. No, Charles, well, you I could not agree with you more because you are absolutely right. It's why my this is my personal favorite episode of this season because they dug deep and they brought out that stuff. And at the end of the episode, much in the same way you are with Tuvix, you're still not sure if they made the right decision at the end, right? Exactly. And to me, it's, it's that constant questioning that's like, that's what really makes Star Trek good. When it never answers the question, when it just kind of poses it and you have to think about it yourself. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. 100%. Yep. Well, I'm enjoying the show, so you guys keep going. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot Charles. for calling, Charles. Bye-bye. No problem. Bye. So uh, the next clip that I have for you guys uh, is a clip, and it's something I, I really liked about this episode is the way they presented it was that Pike and his girlfriend and the, the people in the floating city were the good guys, and these rebels, this other colony, were the bad guys was the way it was presented. But in reality what depends on your point of view. Um, It was the other way around. They were trying to save the child from his impending torture and death. Um, So speaking of that, the next clip that I want to play for you guys 
is a clip that I entitled The Oath Coin. What am I looking at? An oath coin. Venarian guards are given one when they swear to protect the life of the first servant. It's the highest of our military honors. Look. To deface a sacred symbol is forbidden. I have to entertain the possibility that one of our guards has betrayed his oath and joined forces with the alien colonists in trying to kidnap the first servant. The boy is in great danger. Frankly, so am I. You can all stay in the Enterprise for as long as you need. I have duties on Magellan. Peaceful transition of power is the cornerstone of our society. Any disruption now would create widespread panic. Then I'll send you with armed escorts. We're a private people. Foreign representatives aren't welcome. But a friend. So the reason why I pulled this one out, obviously, is how relevant it is to what's happening right now, today. The peaceful transition of power is the cornerstone of our society. Where have we heard that before? Mm-hmm. Okay, right well, now. I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, uh, it, it's yeah. the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and we're seeing this playing out on our televisions right now. So um, I thought, wow, that couldn't be more nail hitting the nail on the head than what's happening right this second. So I kind of like that quote, but the whole time she's talking to Pike and she's saying, well, the boy is in grave danger. And in reality, the the, the boy was actually safe with the, uh, uh, what does she call him? The, uh, the alien. Yeah. She called him alien colony, but, but, but remember Jim. So, so yes to what you're saying from our perspective, right? I think the, I think like, remember we talked about that, uh, I don't know, it was a few shows ago, we talked about the golden rule versus the, the, the platinum rule, which is, you know, if the golden rule is treat or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the platinum rule is do unto others as they would like to have done uh, unto them. And so, you know, Pike can't see things from her perspective, but she's seeing this from the perspective of, oh, my God, if we don't do – this kid is in danger because if we don't get him out of danger, our entire society is going to plunge into lakes of lava and die. So, yes, to what you're saying, but only from Pike's perspective, not from her perspective, which I think is super interesting too. Yeah, because the way she's presenting it, it's like if we don't say – if we if we let if we let the aliens have the child, he's in danger. But in reality, if they get the child back from the aliens, he'll be tortured and murdered by them. Well, and I can't. That's why in this episode I can't tell. This is another reason I love this episode. I can't tell if she's manipulating Pike all along, or if she simply isn't mentioning what's about to happen because she assumes that he knows. You know. Is she really just well, manipulating him? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, no. I what what are you manipulating? Yeah. Because she, she says, again, go ahead and let him see what we're going to do. 
But why yeah. would she let uh, him in there at all if she knew enough about the Federation to know that he's going to try and fight against it? I think that the reason that she let him into the chamber at the end was, yes, out of a sign of respect because she's, you know, he saved his life. But also uh, she believed that he kind of was going to be okay with this. She did, I don't think she had – remember the only interaction that they've had before was he rescued her on a shuttle. And then they kind of like made googly eyes at each other, and that was about it. She probably doesn't have a full frame of reference for the Federation. Or maybe maybe it's this whole practice. Actually, I just thought about this. It's this whole practice as to why they didn't join the Federation, right? Because they knew the Federation would never be able to be okay with this. Well, I think it goes back to the fact that, um, you know, a peaceful transition is the cornerstone of our society. And I think that when you get to a point where, she is and where where this society is they have chosen to accept that which is unacceptable and they've made that acceptable and that's the danger when you when you have something that's totally appalling and and completely unacceptable and you turn your cheek and make that unacceptable thing acceptable and justify it away that's the danger here. That's what that you turn into her. That's the yeah, way. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of I mean, here, man. It's it's that, yeah. and also trying to see it from her perspective, and cultural differences, and all of that stuff. There are a lot of layers to this episode. It's like a giant onion. <laughs> it's just it's so good. You know, it's just like wow. If if torturing and murdering a child is unacceptable and you accept it and make that the norm. What does that say about you? Yeah. And your society that you're just like willing the to turn... that we were just talking about with the sense, like if you're yeah. willing to accept armies of slave laborers, what does that say about your society? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a very philosophical question that they threw that they asked here. Um, so, wow. So, uh, yeah, I know I have another clip I want to play and this is, this is, uh, actually, Oh, before I do that though, when we're not, when, um, the oath coin guy jumps up and he kills the guard and he runs away and Pike chases him down. Did anybody, when I was watching it, the first <laughs> thing that popped in my brain say. was <laughs> Stargate. Did you oh, think of yeah. the totally. Stargate with the, with the staffs and the whole nine yep. yard, did, did, Stargate popped right in my mind. They yeah, very much look like that. All. Yeah. But, but, the, but the best thing about that chase scene, Jim, was the fact that, that Pike actually did a flying tackle, just like Kirk used to do back in the day, right? He took that guy down by, like, jumping sideways at him. <laughs> but, he didn't, but he didn't rip his shirt. <laughs> he didn't rip his shirt. <laughs> he didn't rip his shirt. You know. Well, well, so we got a nice view of the planet Yep. I was going to say, I had very, very few nitpicks for this week. Like, my nitpick list is super duper small, but that, that was one of them was like, okay, the guys are shooting with their little laser staffs, and then it turns into a foot chase. What happens to all the laser staff shooting? It just stops. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and those lasers, they, uh, they were on kill because when they shot the guy, he just went poof. He was gone, and, and Pike my... says to the guy, he says, it's not on stun. And that was well, my, I, I, my theory is, is that there's staff weapons. Yeah, my theory ahead, is that they couldn't cut, 
keep firing because their ba- uh, their guns run out of batteries. <laughs> that could be. They don't have the Energizer bunny. Uh, <laughs> I, need my, I, I only had one other tiny nitpick about the episode, which was that scene where Pike pulls his phaser on the guy and says, it's not set to stun. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, a, ca- a Federation captain is going to set his phaser to kill on this guy? I don't think so. Well, don't forget that Pike at this point in the story was under the impression that they were trying to kill the child and he was trying to protect the child, not knowing that it was actually the other way around. He, he was delivering the child to be tortured and killed. He didn't know that. We knew, right, you know, but in he, that exact moment, it was only Alora who was in danger. The kid was nowhere around. Right. Well, the moment the guard ran, Pike he thought maybe emotion. he was the kidnapper. Yeah, he was going to kidnap. I think over her, he'd want to protect her as well. Yeah, and she got, kill, she got between him and he her. He stun the guy. I think he could stun the guy. That's a nitpick. It, it you, you seems like they're giving Pike uh, a lot of Kirkisms uh, mm-hmm. try, as they the try top. and expand on Pike as a character. So I, I, I have been noticing that in uh, the, uh, quite a few episodes. Yeah, he actually got a. It, it's Spock has been getting all the bootay so far, but uh, Kirk, Kirk got a little. Kirk, Kirk got a little in this in this episode. Uh, I mean, Pike. You mean Pike? Pike. Yep. Yeah, Pike. He 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 got a little. So um, on the next clip is one that uh, I was hoping to talk about later, but uh, Eric already mentioned it, and um, I entitled this one "The Children Will Suffer." What's it going to do to them? We don't know. The machine needs the neural network of a child to function. Our founders designed it that way. We don't know why. We've hunted for centuries for alternatives. Found nothing. The purpose of my research when we met. Will they suffer? Yes. We don't pretend otherwise. We live in gratitude for him. And when a new first servant ascends, we will live for her. Your whole civilization. Hold your... Yes. It's all founded on the suffering of a child. Can you honestly say that no child suffers for the benefit of your federation? That no child lives in poverty or squalor? Or those who enjoy abundance look away? The only difference is we don't look away. And because of that, the suffering is born on the back of only one. It's what makes it a sacred honor. That's why I choose our way. No. The first chance I get, I'm reporting Mr. Starfleet. And what? We're not a Federation world. You have no jurisdiction. So, again, I think that this particular um, uh, exchange is for our benefit because 
uh, of what's going on in today's world with the 1% and all that stuff because in the future, the Federation doesn't have the suffering and starvation that we see today. So I think when she said that, that, that line didn't make sense to me because in the future, the Federation doesn't have that anymore. We do today. Okay. So I got the feeling so, yeah, that, that, that was particular going line. I had two issues saying that. Yeah. Yeah. That particular so, line was written for for us to give us something to reflect upon because the Federation doesn't have the one percent, you know, like we have today. But okay. So can I ask that, a question about that though, guys, because the, the if you fast forward to the Picard. Uh, series, we learn that the Federation actually does have those sorts of attitudes. Um, we learn that it's the fringe Federation worlds that don't feel like they have a voice uh, on the Federation Council, and and their you know their needs are not being met. Um, we we find out that the the Federation actually backs down from helping the Romulans uh, when their planet is destroyed and that sort of thing. So. Uh, what I wonder is, so if we think back, where does the whole utopian thing about uh, about Star Trek really come from? Well, it comes from Kirk, right? He's the one that tells us in TOS that there's that there's no more suffering, there's no more. And actually, does does Picard do it too? Now I think about it. Picard or, does. I don't know if Kirk does, but Picard does I, I, I it in the right episode now. of TNG. I think you're right, Nathan. I think it's not until TNG that they actually say that. And so, to me, if Picard's the one who's saying that, is Picard a little idealistic? Does he, you know, because this is pre-Romulus blowing up Picard, right? Uh, So can we – anyway, where I'm going with this is clearly the writers are retconning a little bit of the Federation's ideals right here. And to me, I don't mind it because it humanizes it just a little bit. To me, utopian ideals are so big and so vast and so up there that they're really hard to achieve. And so I like the humanization of the Federation a little bit. Yeah, there are people who don't agree. There are people who might have different opinions, but we're still going to keep working with them, even though we, you know, everything's not perfect all the time. So maybe there was some suffering on some of these worlds. You know, maybe Pike has an awareness of that. So... I, well, I I'm gonna about this scene, but I didn't. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, I I thought you were pretty done. I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna also point out though that McCoy, in um, uh, I don't know. I'm sure in TOS, but for sure I believe in Star Trek Four about uh, somebody having dialysis and him uh, uh, saying that that uh, I think that was in Star Trek Four, but uh, yeah. I believe he in TOS has also mentioned about, you know, all the medical problems all pretty much going away. Um, so that might be the actual earliest uh, mention of maybe not a utopian society, but more of a we've taken care of things uh, in, in the 23rd century now. I think McCoy might have been the first one to say that over Picard. Yeah, I think you're right, Nathan. That was in Star Trek Four. Yep. But I'm, my whole point is is that the peaceful transition of power is a cornerstone of our society, and 
that that there's a few people that have everything at the expense of everybody else are two ideals, two things that are going on in the world right now, today. And Star Trek is always using today, tomorrow as a metaphor for today. And those two particular things struck me as specific problems of today that wouldn't necessarily exist in this future of Star Trek that we all know and love. That was the whole point Mm -hmm. I was trying to make. You know, I think that they put those to be, because children, to my knowledge, I cannot think of a single episode where, where, um, where children, particularly like she says in this particular clip, where children were, were being tortured or, or used to better the Federation. I cannot think of a single episode where that was, was even remotely hinted at or touched on ever. So that's what made me think that this no, particular that's clip a, is to... that's not a Federation... To, yeah, that's not a Federation ideal. Right. And so I think Federate, that this particular I mean, thing... Feder- yep, go ahead. Go ahead. That, I, I think that say, whole thing that, was... You know, the, the Federation is very much like our society where we actually put the, the well-being of children above the well-being of adults, too. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself, does the Magellan society see things the same way? Clearly they don't, you know, they're willing to sacrifice this child. So perhaps they have an entirely different way of looking at, um, at children, you know, uh, are children productive members of society? No, they require a lot of maintenance, you know, so, uh, maybe we don't sort of hold them in this high regard the way that the Federation does. I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of this episode too, I keep saying, but it's not just about like the Federation's ideals being implanted and us being told to hate the Magellans now because they do this one thing. To me, it's more interesting than that and complex. Uh, let's, let's go back to Cadet Review. Haven. They're willing to sacrifice Wesley for a vi- for walking. I believe it was walking on the grass, and they're willing to yeah. give him the death penalty for such a minor infraction. But it was such a that, big infraction to those people of Haven yeah. that they were willing to sacrifice somebody, and even willing to sacrifice their attempts to getting in the Federation. Oh, there's one issue. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because and I wonder if the kind of law they considered the perfection of their society to be a cornerstone. Right? They, and I wonder if they... Because I believe they yeah. were trying to get into Federation at that time. And I think they were they rejected were. because of that attempt. Yeah, because they didn't have a really good understanding that in order to become a member of the Federation, you have to conform in certain respects, right? The Federation will respect your culture, but there are certain things that we won't budge on. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we'll uh, have the got... same idea to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. This episode was loaded with stuff. And... Um, I have one more clip to play for you guys, and then we can go we can go around the room and uh, get our scores on this episode. And this particular this this popped in my head right away when I when when I saw this guy and this advanced technology and this medical stuff. I said to myself, "Well, I wonder if why doesn't Mbenga just talk to this dude?" 
So I have this clip here called Doctor to Doctor. I see no signs there was ever any head trauma to reconstitute the molecular structure of damaged tissue. It's revolutionary. Where's the hypothetical? Doctor to doctor. Stop it. I have a patient with mast cell signalchemia. 11-year-old female. Could quantum bio implants reverse cellular degranulation, even in late stages? I'm a jealous. It could be reversed. And if I ever had such a patient, could I send them your way? I'm afraid not. It is illegal to share our technologies with unaffiliated races. The Federation has similar policies. Not when it comes to medical interventions. Perhaps one day, an alliance between our worlds could serve us all. So there you have it. He, it's illegal for them to share their technology. It's illegal. But yeah, he changes I mean, his mind at the end of the episode when he becomes a rebel or, or whatever they call him. Um, he <laughs> talks with Benga and helps him. So. Yeah, I think that he he kind of makes a connection with Mbenga on a father to father level once he learns about Mbenga's daughter, uh, because he realizes that throughout this entire show he's just been trying to save his son from becoming the first servant, and even though he cannot save him and that ship has already sailed, perhaps he can sort of help this this other person who's become important in his life uh, move forward on his issue with his daughter. Uh, I love all of the hope that is brought up for Mbenga. Honestly, like the beginning of the episode, the um, the acting, uh, and I don't have his name up. It's like Babs Lusumakun or something like that. Uh, he, Sorry, I don't remember his last name exactly, but he has this moment where his daughter disappears as she's being transported away by timer, and his face just is like, oh, he's such a good actor. You just feel all of the emotions. And I think, you know, you, you get that at the beginning of the episode, and then later on here you get the elder uh, kind of helping him out because he understands where he's coming from. I love this. Well, you know, it might explain the reason why um, he's gone and um, uh, Bone shows up because maybe Mbenga finds the cure for his daughter and he leaves. And he's not the chief medical officer anymore because he's going to go cure his daughter. And McCoy steps uh-huh. in. And then, and then once sure. he gets his daughter cured and, and, and taken care of, then he comes back. And that's why we see him on the Enterprise, not as the chief medical officer. So we, we might be moving in that direction because if you remember, Kurtzman did say we would see other characters show up that we haven't seen yet. So that might be how they hey. get bones in and get get Mbenga out. I, I'm just spitballing here, but at any rate. So, uh, let's go around the room and let's, let's see what people thought about the episode. So, let's start off with you, Nate. What did you think? One to ten. Uh, this Fans is a gave it solid an 8. seven 8. for me. Solid, a solid, solid seven. seven for me. Yeah. Excellent. It was much better than the last three episodes for me. And the first Excellent. episode was an eight for me, so it's not quite as good as the first episode, so that's why I gave it a seven. Excellent, excellent. And how about you, Donut Guy? Um, 
I'd have to say this one is probably an eight. An eight? Okay, so we're we're pretty close to the fan. The fans were eight point eight. We're yeah, right in that area. Pretty close. How about you, Charles? I'm going to throw in a comment before I give the rating. And one thing you didn't do in your clip that I thought was interesting. And that was all rules of security. And we learned how tough security training can be. And she definitely sounds like she is a good security officer for all the details that her is having to go through to learn what to be what to, what security means. And I think I like the idea that cadets actually learning about different areas. In fact, I love the scene where Kirk comes over and it's like, oh, you ought to tell her, you ought to get an hour for lunch. And it's like, why don't you tell her yourself? And it's like, mm, no, I don't have the nerve to do that. Telling you that People were people are all around her, but uh, I'll go right around with the fans on this one. Eight point nine. Eight point nine. How about you? What do you think, Eric? Uh, well, I have to say that my favorite Shakespeare is always the tragedies. I am a sucker for a good tragedy, and I feel like this episode just like gives us all the stuff that we want to think about. Uh, it does not have an entirely happy ending, which I think is more indicative of the way life is in general. So um, I like it when things aren't necessarily sewn up in a, in a cute little package at the end of the day. So many great things to think about in this episode. Uh, my absolute favorite episode of the season uh, right now. So I'm going to give this one a 9.6. Well, you know, um, Oh, my absolute favorite episode was on tonight, and I cannot wait to talk to you guys about it next week. So uh, I'm going to leave it at that. But I'm going to go right around with Charles and the fans. I'm going to go with an 8.9 on this one, I think. It, It was a lot there, a lot to unwrap, a lot to think about, a lot of morals, a lot of ethical questions. And I think that's what Star Trek is best at, making you see things from different perspective so that's what i'm going to go with and um before we say good night i want to say thank you so much to joe for giving us a call and charles and anna from portland for calling thank you so much for calling us guys and also thank you so much to nate from vegas for calling us and uh joining us yeah, tonight. thank welcome. you nate and of course thank you to keep the uh, averages down on our scores it's not a competition <laughs> it's just an opinion <laughs> yep and of course i want to say thank you so much to eric for hanging out with us tonight thank you eric absolutely had a great time guys and thanks so much to charles as well for hanging out and truck talking with us oh thank you great show today a lot of a lot of guests i'm impressed yeah, we had, a, we had a really, really good show tonight. And thank you to each and every single one of you guys who's listening to us no matter where you are. Even if you're not listening right now, if you're listening on Tuesday or Saturday or whenever, we really appreciate it. Thank you so, so very, very, very much. 
And I want to let you guys know that on Monday night at 7.30, we're going to have Ray Tessie from the Neutral Zone Studios down in Georgia. And he's going to be, talk, going to be on, talking with us a little bit about what's going on down there at their Starship uh, replica of the Enterprise down there. And we're also going to have fan favorite Leslie Sawyer on my meat and potatoes. And she's going to be talking about working on Star Trek fan films. So you definitely want to tune in on Monday night for that. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please stay safe and be good to each other. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Good night. Let's see what's out there. Engage.